You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning we have, uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're walking through that letter that Paul wrote to the apostles. And I'm just going to be, uh, if you're a part of River, you just know, I, I don't, I'm pretty transparent. I don't hide things well. And this is a challenging passage. So um, we're going to wade into that, that, that topic called tongues, if you will. Uh, and for some of you, you're like, Sean, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know what a tongue is when the doctor says, you know, stick out your tongue. I know how that works. Others of you maybe grew up in a church or maybe, you know, that's a, a familiar, very common thing that you're experienced. So I recognize this morning there's, you know, different, uh, I guess we're all coming from different places. And what we really want to do is just to simply open God's word and let it speak. This is one of those subjects that, uh, that Christians will often debate. You'll often, you know, especially if you're at work and have friends and family, they will, um, you know, kind of throw down where they are and want to move you from where you are and that kind of thing. And we just want to kind of cut, the, cut through the fog and just let God's word speak to us. And my goal this morning really transparently is not to... Um, uh, not to do a theological diatribe. Once again, if you guys, River family knows, that's not me. But I want to understand Scripture enough, and then we want to apply it to our life to make it make sense, right? That's what we go to church for. It's to gather together and encourage one another, but it's to hear from God and allow God to speak to us through His Word and through this community of faith and so that we can then grow uh, from that. So before we look at God's Word, let me pray for us, all right? Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for your word, and I recognize this morning, Father, that this is uh, one of those controversial topics in churches today, and Lord, my heart's desire is to not add to that, not further that, not to, um, uh, not to be arrogant, not to be prideful. In fact, Lord, it's the opposite. I want us to just humbly open your word. We recognize that uh, as, as sinful people, it's always a challenge for us to open your word, to understand what you've written and then to apply it accurately to our hearts. Lord, would you give us an extra amount of grace and understanding this morning as we look at this. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for some of you, um, when we think about this issue or the, the topic of tongues, for some of you, you're like, I don't know if that's really a thing or not. I don't know what it is. I've heard about it. I've got friends that have been there and done that. And and for other of you, or just like, well, of course it is. You know, it's my common experience growing up. And, and you know, absolutely, I recognize that. My first exposure, uh, transparently, was uh, many years ago. I was pastoring a church in Bennington, small church. And um, uh, one of the churches in the community was having kind of a revival services, kind of in a big tent. So they, you know, had a big tent, hired a company to come out and put stakes in the ground and that kind of thing. And uh, they asked the pastors of the churches that, you know, that, uh, that shared the gospel and gospel-believing kind of churches to come and ask them if they would pray at this meeting. And so, um, and so I went and I prayed, and I was kind of a little surprised because they put us all, the pastors, up on the front stage. I'm not used to that. I'm always kind of a, you know, sit down and be in the crowd until I got to do my thing. And then anyway, it was a little more show and pomp and circumstance I was used to. And I went along with it. I sat there, and uh, my first cue that something was a little off with the, at least the speaker, if not the church, was when the, the, the revival preacher came in from out of town. He said, you know, 
I want to tell you, you know, looking at this tent and looking at these lights, and I've never seen a tent staked out just so, and these lights hung just so, and I want to tell you that revival has come to you. And I thought, wow, you have just lost me for the entire sermon. You know, I'm pretty sure that whatever revival is, that it's not because somebody did a really good job staking a tent out or a hung lights out. You know, if that was the case, I hope the, when you pulled in this morning that you said, wow, I know revival is in this church because look at those beautiful curbs. Look at that nice new blacktop outside, that nice, you know, those new signs, the welcome, you know, parking signs, which we just put in a few weeks ago. Man, I know that the God, the Holy Spirit is in this church. This is a great church, you know. Actually, no, Jamie just did a really good job on the curbs. The guys that we hired to do the paving did a good job, and Andy and I hopefully did an okay job when we pounded the signs in and bolted them on. You know, that, I just, oh my goodness. So at that service, it went from there, and, and I won't, I, my desire is not to as much criticize. I definitely want to criticize, but I'm leaving all names out and keeping everybody innocent. But I want us to deal with some of the realities of this. So at the end of the service, when the revival preacher, you know, he kind of gave what would be an altar call, asking people to maybe come forward and respond. Pretty much nobody came. And then he gave a, and extended a call that basically, if you at all knew or loved Jesus, like you couldn't say no to it and, and, and said, you know, if you want to see revival come, just come down and let's all pray. And the whole crowd got up. And they came down to what I can just describe as basically a huge mosh pit. And they all started speaking, praying out loud and speaking in tongues, like these words that just, if you're a little bit of a nerd, you know, Star Trek nerd, kind of like Klingon or something else, who were just like words you couldn't understand. And I'm truly, I'm not trying to make fun of anything, but it was just, it was words that just you couldn't understand. And... I, it was really uncomfortable to me, to a person who didn't grow up in that world that was kind of strange. And I'm just like, you know, I'm used to praying and like knowing what I'm saying and having a conversation with God because that's a relationship. If I, you know, in a relationship with my wife, all of a sudden started just speaking something she didn't understand, that would just be, you know, she would kind of look at me as odd. And so some of you, that's where you would be. You would just say, I don't know what that's all about, and it's strange. For others of you, that's a normal, common thing, and maybe even it's something that you've experienced that's meaningful to you, and you've, you know, you are a place where you say, I don't need to know what those words mean. That's between God. That's my, my, my speaking, you know, out of a heart of devotion to God, and, and I enjoy that. So, whichever, wherever you are this morning, we're going to kind of, you know, just take a deep breath and just look at what God has to say. So look with me in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read a good little chunk of passage. If this is your first time at, at here at River, this may, uh, this, this sermon may have a little bit of a different feel than what we're used to. Hopefully not too much, but, uh, but read with me starting in verse 1. The Bible says this. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, that, by the way, that word in originally means either like your physical organ tongue or language. It's, it, it's what that word means. It means like a doctor when he says stick out your tongue, it's that word glossa. Or if it means somebody who speaks in another language, they speak in glossa. Those are the two things it means. It doesn't automatically mean an unintelligible kind of language. So whoever speaks in a language or a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. 
On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. No one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. That's really key. Verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, in other words, make a sound that you understand and know what that is, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So, will, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages, or he could have said tongues, the English translators could have said tongues, because it's the same word, in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, this is key, you're eager to have the Holy Spirit do something in your midst. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. All right, let me share with you a few things this morning. I, I, very simply, I want to share with us what we don't know about tongues and prophecy and all of this. And I want to share what we do clearly know. And then I want to give us three or four things that really implications of what it means for our life. So let's be honest, there's a lot that we don't fully understand about some of these things. Uh, as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, they were experiencing, they had such a, an inordinate focus on the manifestation of the spiritual gifts that uh, it was a little bit different than what many of, our, many of us in this room have experienced in church. And Paul is really drilling down. He's really beginning to, to deal with specifically some of the more visible things, and, and one of those being tongues. So in the book of Acts, chapter 2, tongues became a big issue, or languages, if you will. Let me read just a little bit. This is the, the account of when the Holy Spirit came, and when there were people there in Jerusalem from all over the world as a part of a festival whose natural language was something other than Greek or Hebrew at the time. And here's the, the testimony of that. In Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, all these people, thousands of people. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this explains that experience of theirs. In verse 5, Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under the heaven. In other words, they spoke lots of different languages. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. In his own language. Jumping down, and it, it lists, we won't take time to read it, lots of different countries that they were from. But the whole point is made, they ask this question, and how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Well, very clearly in Acts chapter 2, tongues, if you will, was not the speaking of a language that people didn't understand. 
It was the speaking of a language that a person didn't understand, but that somebody else did. Now, what we don't know about this, if we read it carefully, is we don't know if that person actually spoke a different language or if the other people heard a different language. Because when we read the account, the Bible says, how is it that we all hear this in our own language? So we don't know exactly where the miracle came. If the miracle came from the people that were speaking it, or if the miracle came more from them speaking, say, in English, and then somebody else hearing in Polish or German or Italian or Swahili. We don't know. We don't really know that. Now, when we look at 1 Corinthians... I think there's a little bit of a different experience going on. You may disagree, but it's pretty clear to me that as Paul is talking to them, that nobody in the room understood these, whatever this language was. And he says, you're, you're talking ultimately to God, and it's obvious that they didn't even know what was going on. There seems to be a, a, a slight difference there. It's difficult for us to look back and to pin it down because... Let's face it, there are no YouTube recordings here, you know. There's, there's no, you know, the NSA wasn't, you know, recording what was going on uh, back then. And so we just really don't know exactly what that looked like. What about prophecy? Paul talks here clearly. He says, hey, chill on the tongues in essence. I could sum this whole chapter up, but it's just like, chill on the tongue speaking. Stop so much of this because nobody knows what in the world you're talking about. But instead, focus on prophecy. Focus on the words that people do understand that will build and edify the church. And many in the church today will say, well, we need to be in a church that's always you know, giving prophetic utterances kind of thing. I want us to understand this morning that when the Bible talks about prophecy, nine times out of ten, it's not talking about primarily predicting the future, like we usually think about it. It's primarily just people who were speaking for God. If you look in the Old Testament, the prophets would say, Thus saith the Lord, the old King James would say. They were just speaking whatever God said. Sometimes it may have mentioned something that was coming in the future. Many times, if not most times, it was just talking about dealing with the present. Now when we turn to the pages in the New Testament, the only time when we see prophecy that I know of that where there's a prophet, it's actually quoted, it's kind of like that. In Acts chapter 21, it won't be on the screen, but there was a man by the name of Agabus that was in the early church, and the Bible calls him a prophet. I want you to listen carefully what he says. In verse 10 of Acts 21, the Bible says this, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, Prophets in the Old Testament did weird things like this. It was just kind of a, it was a thing like they would kind of almost demonstrate what they were saying before God. So he takes Paul's belt off of Paul, probably some sort of rope or leather kind of thing, and he ties up his Paul's hands and feet. And he says this, quote, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You see, the prophets, when we have actually in the Bible what they said, they always claim to be a direct quote from God. Here's what God literally is saying from God to me to you. And Agabus in the New Testament said the Holy Spirit is saying this, which, put, by the way, puts the Holy Spirit on par with God because He is God, and He's making a direct quote from Himself to, him, to those around Him. Now, guys, many today who focus on prophecies, many will claim that what they're saying is absolutely true, that people have to follow it. But 
I want us to recognize that God has given us his word. And the prophets in the Bible were given at a time when his word was not, um, was not fully spoken. When, when the, uh, for the church at first at Corinth had this, uh, when they were meeting as a church, they didn't have Matthew through Revelation yet. Their Bible stopped at Malachi. They didn't have any of the benefit of any of the Gospels. They didn't have any of the benefit of any of the, the, the things that Paul the Apostle wrote or James or John or any of that. And so the prophets were speaking out you know, these words of God and they were authoritative for the church at the time. But today you will see many different beliefs about prophecy out and about. So some will claim that you know, it has that same authority as the Bible. But the Bible has made it clear to us that that the scriptures that God had given to us, they are to be relied upon. They are fully trustworthy, but we're not to, in Revelation it says, we're not to add to that. Like there's nothing else. So we should be, we should have a healthy dose of skepticism if somebody ever claims to literally be speaking God's word from God to them to you, and you're supposed to obey every minute of that. That's, that's dangerous today. That's really dangerous. Now, some will hold to prophecy and say, well, it doesn't mean that it's actually thus saith the Lord. It just means that they may be having an impression from God that we should pay attention to. There's a well-known pastor. I won't mention his name because I'm genuinely I'm not throwing mud or criticism. I'm, I'm genuinely trying to help us to know how to navigate all of these waters in our Christian life because you will have people and co-workers that will invite you to events or will try to push you into various things. And we need to understand what this looks like and what the Bible means for us. But this very well-known, in fact, he's a hero for many, many Christians, and I respect uh, him tremendously um, and agree with him in many, if not most areas. But this area I disagree with. But he, he encourages his church to, to prophesy and to basically speak these words to one another regularly. And he tells a story about when his wife was pregnant that a woman asked to meet with him uh, who was a member of the church, and she said, Pastor, I have a word from you, a word of prophecy for you. And uh, God has told me that uh, this is good news and bad news, that your wife is going to deliver. And I don't remember if she said it was going to be a boy or girl, but it was one of those. And said, let's say you're going to be a girl, but that's the good news. But the bad news is, is that your wife is going to die in childbirth. Well, that pastor was a mess after that. He was, oh my goodness, I hope this isn't true. I oh, And he was just totally beside himself in the middle of that. And when apparently he couldn't be there at the delivery, or maybe he was and he didn't see when, when, when the baby was coming out, and he asked, what is it? And it came out the opposite of what the woman said. And he was like, oh, this is great. My wife's going to live. You know, it's dangerous when we give people that level of speech into our lives, it's not wise, it's unwise. Uh, you know, so I want us to be careful that there's just not a lot that we actually can fully understand about all the tongues, about all the prophecies. Scripture tells us a lot, but there's a lot that we don't really know. So let me go to kind of the second thing, and I want to dive into how we live practically into this world. So what do we know about tongues? What do we know about prophecy? Well, one thing we know about tongues is 
not everybody speaks in tongues. At the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asked the question, I don't have, uh, I don't have it on the screen, and uh, truth be known, I don't have it on my Bible either. I accidentally left my Bible at an ordination council last night, and I've got all my passages printed this morning, so it's been kind of one of those strange days. But at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says, you know, do all prophesy, do all speak in tongues? He's writing it in such a way that he knows the answer is no, and he expects everybody to know that. So when your friends come to you and say, you know, it's great that you believe in Jesus and you follow Jesus, but there's something missing if you've not spoken in tongues, you need to very comfortably say, hey, not everybody speaks in tongues. Whatever tongues is, whatever that, that is going on, it's not everybody speaks in that. Very clearly, Paul said, I wish that everybody, I just read it a minute ago, I wish that you all would, but he recognizes that not everybody does. And instead, we actually know that everybody um, who is truly born again is a child of God. They're baptized in the Spirit. Chapter 12 talks about that. Chapter 13 talks about that, that we've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is no connection between speaking in tongues and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. For some of you, you're like, Sean, I don't, this is really heavy theology. I don't even know how those glue together. And if that's where you are this morning, just relax, gloss by this, just ignore it. I'll get to some stuff that, that will make sense to us, hopefully. But for those of you who do understand what I'm talking about, there's, there's only one thing that we need to do in our life that we need to receive from Christ, and that is a personal relationship with Him, that by faith we surrender our life to Him and we receive Him. And at that moment, what the Bible says, teaches that we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and He, as it were, washes over us, and He's in our soul. We don't need to go seek God in a second kind of experience, asking God to, hey, would you now give me the rest of the Holy Spirit? There's not like this two-stage booster rocket in our salvation that we need to go looking for. It just isn't there. And those churches that are teaching that kind of thing, they're gluing passages together that God did not glue together. In fact, that would be such a major teaching, much like salvation, that if God really wanted that to be there, it would be in several places of Scripture, and it's not. It's just not there. Not everybody speaks in tongues. So we, we know that for a fact. We know those are realities. Regardless of whether tongues is known languages, unknown languages, prayer languages, regardless of prophecy is speaking the exact words of God or its impressions from other people, there's a lot we don't know, but we do know those things. So now that I've waded through that, Let's talk about some real implications. What, what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14 is, we should choose to focus on words we know over words we don't know. That may seem really simple, but Paul very clearly, he's trying to tell the church, hey gang, you are overly focusing on this manifestation of people showing their, their spiritual prowess by this, this spiritual gift, and you're putting a focus on lots of words that you have no clue what they mean. In fact, later on he says, there's going to be people that come to your church and they're going to think you're absolutely nuts. You're, they're going to say, you are crazy. What in the world? Um, you just aren't going to, they don't know what's going on. It's what he says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, if therefore the whole church, look at verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers or people that are not initiated, they're not 
following Jesus. They don't know what's going on. If they enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? I looked up a couple of YouTube videos just to uh, not get my theology, but more just to see what was out there and what was going on. And I stumbled into a couple of videos where they were people who are not Christians, who are not people of faith, and they showed video clips of pastors of large churches, of church of people speaking in tongues. And they went on, it was a shame, but they went on to mock them. like, And they talked about them being on drugs and all kind of stuff. And I thought, that's what Paul is trying to say. He's just saying, look, let's focus on words we do know. In fact, he says in verse 10 or verse 19, he says, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Rather than 10,000 words. So Paul tells us to focus on words that we do know and not on words we don't know. So in a nutshell, that alone is why we don't speak in tongues in our church publicly or anything like that, regardless of whether it's known languages or not a known language to people today. We're supposed to focus on words that we know because those are the words that build us up, that edify. That's what he's talking about in verse 3. He says... When we speak out these words, and he uses the word prophecy, and once again, we don't know exactly. Uh, he doesn't outline for specifically what all that means, but he tells us this. When there are words that we do know and understand, there's an upbuilding, there's an encouragement, there's a challenging, there's something that works on your heart. When we speak in tongues, you're only edifying yourself. You're not building anybody else up. So we should focus on that. Here's what that means in practically. You should go to a church. I'm thinking many, many of you are college students and you know, you're going to be in parts unknown within four years' time. You should go to a church that focuses on words that can be understood rather than words that can't be. Very simple. Go to a church that opens the Bible, that cares about you growing in your faith, that explains it to you, that will help you get it, will help you apply it to your life, help you to say, oh, that makes sense, I understand it, and help you follow with your faith, rather than a church that expresses and focuses on things that are just, you know, spiritual phenomenon. It's easy today. We like the, there's a part of us as people that we like the goosebumps. We like the things that we can't explain. We like the ooh, the whatever, right? There's a fascination, whether it's the paranormal and all of that, and we like things of that unexplainable nature in the church. And if we're not careful, we get so fascinated with stuff that we can't explain, we just say, oh, well, that must be God. And this is what the church was doing. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but they were pursuing these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They they, their heart was right. They wanted all of God. They wanted to worship Him and purity and all of that, but they were unwise in it. And so they were wanting God to show up and do things in their lives in the church. And they thought that all of these kinds of things, tongues and the stuff that they couldn't explain, was evidence that, wow, God's really at work. And Paul's like, no, you really need to focus on stuff you understand. You really need to focus on what you believe in words that make sense. By the way, since I'm in the neighborhood, that's why I avoid big theological words. I like to use words that people get and they understand. You know, in the Christian realm, and this is for, for those in the room who maybe, Sean, I've never really, you know, I've never been down that road. I understand we need to just focus on words I understand. For me, that's English. What do I get out of this? Well, here's what you need to know. 
There's a time, the time comes when we, as we are Christians longer and longer, that our vocabulary expands unintentionally. And we begin using words that people around us are clueless about. And in fact, theologians begin to write about these. And then when guys begin, they like throwing these words around. And, and you know what? It's really no different than speaking in a different foreign tongue's language. I look at Jesus. Could we all agree that Jesus was the greatest theologian to walk this planet? He was certainly more than that. He was Savior and Lord. Did he use big words? He really didn't. Did he use words that, that everybody could understand in pictures and stories? Absolutely. And he shared the absolute deepest, biggest truths about God in heaven, and he didn't have to use big words. You see, if we have to use big words, it means we really don't understand what we're talking about as much as we think we do. And there can be a time and a place for that. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to throw it all under the bus. But there's a little bit of pride that begins to seep in there. So we need to be careful as a church, whether it's in our life groups, whether it's here, whether it's all and about, that people need to understand what we're talking about and their language and their time and their place to have it make sense to them. That's why we work hard at that regularly. It's why I'm even a little challenged to talk about some of these issues because they're kind of out there and kind of unusual to us, but it just needs to make sense. So we choose to focus on words that we understand, not on words that we don't. Cut through the fog of what this is all about. Focus on words you get and understand. Next thing, we should understand, we should expect God to do things that we can't explain, that don't fully make sense that we scratch our heads about. I'm okay with that. You remember the little shape sorters that you had when little kids, or maybe you got for your kids, you know, the little, I don't, do they make those anymore? Or do you just hand your kid a video game? Is that all that we do now? Oh, here, here's a cell phone. Have fun. I, do, do you, I don't know if you, you probably should do all the other stuff, but like, you know what I'm talking about, the little shape sorter, a little star and the circle and the square, triangle, you know, all that stuff, and you put them in one little thing in each little hole. I know some of you were that guy trying to prove that you could get the square into the, the circle hole. I was that guy too, and it didn't work. Like, I'm going to get this in there. There's something in our life as people and even as Christians that we want to fit everything into its little hole. We're convinced that the world around us works that way, that if I've got this shape, it's got to fit into this little hole. And if we're not careful, we begin to approach even our spiritual life, and we begin to even approach the Bible in that same way. Now, let me be really clear. We can understand much of what the Bible is talking about, and God has made it clear to us, and He's revealed lots of truth to us, and, and there's a lot of things that we can and should know about this. But I'm okay with every once in a while in Scripture bumping into something that I say, that doesn't quite fit the whole. I'm not sure what to do with this. I don't get it. I look at it this way. If God is really God in heaven who's infinite and all-powerful and all-knowledge and all-everything, I should expect into something once in a while that blows my mind that I just can't explain, that I don't fully understand, that doesn't quite fit into my little grid. And I try to be careful, even with all the things that I do know, not to become so arrogant, thinking that I got it all figured out, and subtly begin to put myself over the Bible instead of keeping the Bible above me and letting me say, you know what? I'm just humbly trying to grow and figure this whole thing out. So as Christians, we should expect to be careful to have things in Scripture that we don't fully get, and it's okay. It really is. And then we should expect to have things in real life that we don't fully understand. 
experiences at times with God. But we need to be careful that we don't base our whole life on that. Let me give you a, a simple little example. Um, this happened many years ago. I think I've shared this story once before, but uh, we, had, we had several children at the time. And uh, I won't tell you how many to protect the innocent in my family. I always try to do that. So, um, But we had several children, and, to be, and it was at a time after you have a lot of kids. I mean, one or two and three, and this, I've got eight if you're new. I've got eight. So this is, this is sequentially going on down here, all right? But somewhere down the line, it wasn't two or three. It was closer to the end. I began honestly getting tired as a dad. I was just like, honey, I love you. I want my wife back. Like, I love all of my kids. Wouldn't train them for a million things a million years. But, wow, this is getting hard, you know? This is not easy. You know, we have multiplied. <laughs> you know, we're there. And, uh, and I can remember over a period of a couple of months, once or twice a week, it began happening, like, at the dinner table if we were all there, that I would have this panic feeling that one of my kids was missing, like uh, irrational, can't explain it, like to the degree, oh no, somebody's abducted them, they're hitting the road, like that kind of just, who's missing? And I would count. When you have that many kids, you don't go by name, you just count. And I'll go around the room and I'd count. You really do become a number eventually. And I would, my head would say, they're all here, everything's cool. But my heart was like, somebody's missing, what's going on? And this began happening once a week. And then after, I'm a little slow on the uptake, like, I don't know, six weeks in or seven or eight weeks, I just joked with my wife. I said, this is the weirdest thing. What is this? Like, I don't get it. And it, and it would just, it would happen only when my kids were all there. And I said, maybe God, I was joking. And I said, maybe God's trying to tell us we're supposed to have another one. And the next day, I'm coming down the stairs. Nobody was around. All my kids weren't there. And it just hit again. Like, somebody is missing, panic, and I walked down the stairs, I'll never forget, I was, came down, this is not in the house we live in now, but it was the previous house, walked down the stairs, and I knelt in the dining room at the spot where I ate dinner, and I said, God, if you're trying to tell me that we're supposed to have another child, it's okay with me. It scares me to death as a dad, for all the reasons it would scare you, but it's okay. Not true story, next day we found out my wife was pregnant. And I've never had those sensations since that time. Uh, and we had more than one more after that. Can I explain that? No. Did that make me a prophet? No. Do I base a lot of Bible theology on that? No. Was God the Holy Spirit trying to communicate to me? Yes. At the time, I thought, wow, this is really cool. Look at that. But you know what I became convinced afterwards? It actually shows more of what a knucklehead I was than how cool God was. That I was so resistant to what God wanted to do, that he had to literally hit me over the head and do something crazy to get my attention to make it okay. So we should expect in a relationship with the infinite God of heaven for there to be things in our lives that we can't explain. I'm okay with that. But we need to be careful that we don't turn around, and I wouldn't do this to you. Hey, are you asking God to show you this kind of stuff in your life? It's okay if you don't have that kind of story. It's all right. We should expect to the unexpected, but we shouldn't give it more authority. Where is our authority to live from? I was about to lift up my Bible. I don't have it. It's pieces of paper. It comes from Scripture, all right? It comes from that. All right, go to the next slide. So not only should we expect things that we can't explain, but we should choose to build up people over our spiritual experiences. This church, they were pursuing manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and it subtly was becoming about them. 
They, they were, you know, they wanted God to be in their life, but they were falling prey to kind of a goosebump, you know, kind of spirituality kind of thing. And, and Paul said, look, I know that you are pursuing spiritual manifestations. You're eager, in verse 12 he says, for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He specifically doesn't use the word spiritual gifts. He changes and he says, I know that you really just want the Holy Spirit to show up and to do His thing and to have lots of things like that going on. But he says, but you got a little bit of a problem. Strive to excel in building up the church. Chill on all of the other and look for the church, the collective body to grow and be nurtured and to, to know Christ, to grow in their faith and to know Him. You see, they wanted their life almost like a validation. I want us to be careful. The only validation that we need before God is our faith in Jesus Christ and His Word. That's the, His Word is the only validation that we need. Sometimes the Christian life can be a little boring. It's okay. Does your life ever get boring? It's okay. But if you're walking with Jesus, there's going to be some pretty cool, exciting things too when God does work in your life along the way as well. And so we should choose to build up one another rather than any of the, the spiritual kind of focus on things that are going around in our life. So what that means for us is this. Change words. We need to be careful that we don't focus on our ministry or our thing so much that we actually are tearing down people or not building people up. We need to be careful that we're not focusing on, well, why did he touch that? Or why did she do that? Or well, that we begin to make it all about our ministry or our thing. And in the process, we're not focusing on helping the people around us in our room, growing in their faith and building. You see, churches, we're notorious for putting more value on things around us. Physical things even, like, why, why is that table not there? That table's been there the last 50 years. We can't move that table. My great-grandmother gave that table. And God's like, whatever needs to be done to build people up, do it. Don't focus on all the other stuff. Focus on building people up. Last thing, make sure that we choose love over everything. Choose love in every single situation. We talked about this last week but Paul in chapter 13, but Paul starts this out in chapter 14. He says, guys, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Anything, any expression, anything in life apart from love is not only a dead end, it's absolutely destructive. So what that means is this. Is it okay if your friends speak in tongues themselves? Yep, it's okay. You don't need to go try to change them, fix them, do anything. Instead, you need to love them and build them up. How do you respond whenever they come to you and say, look, you're missing the Holy Spirit. I love you, you know Jesus, but you're just not filled with the Spirit. You just don't have it all together. You're just not baptized in the Spirit. You just respectively say thank you. But you know, I look at when I look at scripture. Scripture tells me I am baptized in the Spirit, and you love them. You don't get offended. You don't tell them off. You don't get mad. You don't get pushed and manipulated or whatever. But you love them. It means you don't throw stones at the other Christian team. 
As Christians, we tend to do that if we're not careful. In fact, the Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge always makes you prideful in every field. Once you feel like you know something, there's a latent pride in that. I don't care if it's the medical field, science fields, anything. Scripture, theology, spiritual faith. And we just read last week that pride and arrogance is not love. So we have to actually show love with humility toward others. We have to demonstrate that. That means we should be careful that in all of our expressions of how we do ministry, how we live our life, be thinking about the way that impacts the people around us. That we should choose love toward them. Not criticizing, not antagonizing. We have to dive into these topics sometimes because we live in that world and things are coming at us. But we have to make sure that we approach it genuinely loving. And when we are in a situation where there's somebody else that we know and we disagree, then disagree, but do it in a loving way. And if it's, if it's an issue of, of seriously dangerous error, like somebody saying, yeah, Jesus, you don't have to know or believe in Jesus. Well, that's a whole nother ball game than what we're talking about here. But make sure that we choose love over everything. I hope, guys, that makes sense. But truth be known, this whole spiritual gift thing gets way more airtime in the Christian church in the U.S. I can't talk about other places. You know what Paul spent most of his time when he talked about spiritual gifts? Hey, guys, love one another and build each other up. Like, focus there. Don't focus on the outward expressions. I'm okay, and by the way, this is a passage, a verse that hit me as we were studying two weeks ago when we looked at it. The Bible says that there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of services, and a variety of activities. I'm not convinced, but what the prophecy and Scripture that we see might have, there might be a possibility that's not exactly that same manifestation. Because you take all of the gifts and there's different services and different ways that those things come out. And I'm in a mind, and some of you are very theologically focused, I'm not sure that Scripture 100% nails down when these gifts end and when they don't. There's just a lot, if we're being honest with Scripture, that we don't fully understand. It does tell us they will end and that love will be the one thing, and love and hope uh, move forward, but um, it doesn't tell us exactly when all that is and how that all works out. What it does tell us is love at the heart of everything you do, choose words that make sense, that you can understand, that as you pray and worship God, and as you talk to other people, that they get it. Focus on those kinds of things. And it's okay to have a relationship with God that there's stuff that we can't explain that God does, that we can't put our, our finger on. It's okay. I'll tell you another little weird thing like that. This hit me, and I'll be done with this. I realized this a couple of years ago, but um, some people today might would call it a premonition or something, but I will regularly have a sense that somebody's name will come to my mind and I should call them. Just different people. And I began realizing that would happen and I just wouldn't do it. And the next day they would call me. And I'd be oh no. And I mean, just like clockwork. And I finally realized like, Okay, God, yeah, like if that person's name in my mind and I think I should call them, 
I ought to call them. I have no idea why, but I just ought to call them. It happened this week to me again, and I know better, but I was so busy, and I just like that kind of thing, and I didn't blew it off, and guess who called me the next day? The guy that I was thinking of from Poughkeepsie. I'm like, ah, I lost the opportunity to be the first mover to say, hey, man, thinking about you, and God did that. I can't explain that. I don't know that that's a spiritual gift or anything other than God giving me an impression in my heart to just say, hey, you ought to do something about this, Sean. We ought to expect that kind of stuff. For some of you, you're a little scared of God doing unusual things. Don't be so scared. It's okay. But for others of you, don't be so fixated on the usual things that you're just a pursuing weird Christianity. Like that doesn't make you any more spiritual than, than anybody else. So let's study God's word, know him, follow him deeply, and allow God to do things we can't explain. But let's don't justify and focus on our spiritual life by all the things we can't explain. Because God works through normal stuff, all right? That's what he's saying as a whole. So I, our worship team's going to come up. I don't know what, how this hits you, if anything. I hope for some of you it's relieved. I get the questions a lot with our college students, like, what do I do with this? Because they love God and they want to honestly be true to Him and don't know what to do with it. Some of you have probably passed that gate long ago. If you're a guest and you're new to River, this was a little bit of a different sermon than what I'm used to, but it's one that's important for us, that we need to know what the Bible says and apply it to our life. So a couple of potential responses. Focus on God's Word. Maybe you've been trying to Maybe you feel like, you know, God hasn't done anything really amazing. Woohoo! in my life in a while. Maybe today your response is, God, that's okay. You've given me your Bible. I'm going to follow that. Maybe that's your response. Maybe God is doing a little something and you're afraid like the impression that I had to, to think about that. I want to be careful because the enemy can give you impressions too. You know, if you get an impression that you need to sell your home, divorce your wife and move to Florida and do something else... I can assure you that's not from God, all right? You know, get some counselors around you to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. But, you know, be willing for God to do something that you can't explain. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.